live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. And if you heard any of his press conference yesterday, you heard a very salty, red-assed junior lobster. And frankly, who can blame him? This dude's had some of the worst luck that I've ever seen a head coach have. And Sunday may have been his most unlucky day ever. He had to coach an entire half of football in the NFC Championship, no less, with no quarterback. And let's be honest, no chance. And that's how arguably the best season of his head coaching career so far came crashing to a close. The Niners are ready to win a Super Bowl in every single way, except they cannot keep a quarterback upright. Naturally, that's going to make the head coach red-assed, especially if people are blaming the head coach for that. So, of course, this guy's frustrated. Frustrated and devastated and heartbroken. I'll get to you later on, Perv. You get your own take today, Perv. Not only did this dude get screwed by some of the worst injury luck ever, as I mentioned, people are actually coming for him and blaming him for that bad luck, that injury luck. People are actually seriously blaming Shanahan for the fact that Trey Lance, Jimmy G, Brock Purdy, and Josh Johnson all got injured in completely different ways on completely different plays in the same season. Two of them happened in the same game that happened to be the biggest game of the year. And he's catching heat. He's catching strays for that. People are blaming Lobster Jr. for that. So understandably, he was even more salty and red than he normally is because it came up and he had to address it. And he frankly addressed it pretty well. Yeah, I think when you ask that question, that way I understand. But I think if you looked at the injuries, common sense would answer that question. Um... I mean, how have they gotten hurt? I mean, I'm sorry Josh got a concussion when he hit the ground. So that's the fourth one you're talking about. I'm sorry our quarterback got his elbow bent backwards on a normal drop-back pass. I'm sorry on a drop-back pass, someone rolled up on Jimmy's ankle. Um, and then we have a dual-threat quarterback who got hurt running the ball. So to throw all those four in that category, no, no quarterbacks got hurt when we had to hand it off the whole second half. So we can look into that. Yo, Lobster! No quarterbacks got hurt when we had to hand it off the whole second half. You know why that is, Kyle? Because you already got all of them hurt. Just kidding, Lobster. Hey, bitter much? But then again, totally understandable. I mean, common sense might answer the question, as he points out. Common sense would dictate. Except common sense is in an extremely short supply right now, especially on the cesspool hellscape that is social media. Some of you act as if Shanahan is running his QBs into a wood chipper. That's not what's going on here. Dude just cannot catch a break. None of them can. But no, it's not fair to blame the dude. The same dude responsible for putting that team deep into the playoffs in the first place. Instead of killing the son of the original rat, two T's. Thanks, Alvin. Today would be great. 
you should be praising him for even having his team in the conference title game with the last player selected in the draft under center for half the season. And if you don't believe me, ask Shanahan, foster child, James Big Head Kelly, what he thinks about his stepbrother taking so much heat. Now, is the head an actual member of the Shanahan family? Of course not. Does he think he is? Hell yes. I've never seen anything as bizarre as this. James Kelly is obsessed with that crew. Obsessed with how they think. And keep in mind, Kelly hates everything. Except the Shanahan's. He's obsessed with them. Obsessed with how they think. Obsessed with how they work. If you're new to it, James Kelly is a valued member of the XR4TI. He's obsessed with how they work. He's obsessed with how they scheme. He's obsessed with how they look. He's obsessed with the overall impact and effect they've had on the NFL. I can't really explain James Kelly's fascination with that family. Just as I cannot explain why he thinks that building a dog wash into his car wash is a good idea. And yes, he owns a car wash and he wants to build a dog wash into said car wash. I can't explain that. Nor can I explain the fact that he commits first-degree murder on the English language every single time he cracks open the mic on Jim Rome's Big Head Bets. Fact is, I don't really know anything about this guy. I don't know where he lives. I don't know what he does with his days off. I don't know when he became a cattle wrangler. Another fact about the head that is true. I just don't know. But here's what I do know. He loves him, the Shanahan's. And if they would, in fact, adopt him, and the guy's like 50. He has his own family and kids. If they were to adopt him as as an adult child, he would leave his family for the family he really wants to be a part of, the Shanahan's. He would dad Mike all damn day. Dad, you're the best. Dad, can you believe how screwed we are at quarterback because of bad luck? Dad with two Ds. Rat with two Ts. I'm telling you, if you keep pushing that enormous cranium, he's going to have a leave Britney alone breakdown with a Nancy Kerrigan chaser. We're going to be in the middle of Jim Rome's big head bets, and all of a sudden the flight deck is just going to lose it. He's going to be like, you're lucky he even performs for you, bastards. Why? Why? Why are you blaming Kyle? Leave Kyle alone. Leave Brittany alone. Anyway, I digress. It's not Kyle's fault that he can't catch a break. But all that crappy luck has only created another major quarterback headache there, right? You got big clock Brock with a blown-out wing. You got Trey Lance, who's on the improve, but still recovering from that broken ankle. And then you have the curious case of grinning Jimmy G. Speaking of curious, I'm still really curious what the hell that guy was so happy about during that debacle on Sunday. I mean, my man was positively cheesing it up on the sideline. I don't recall ever seeing a guy ever looking happier, even in a win much less in a beatdown of that magnitude on a big stage like that. I don't know that I've ever seen any human being ever look happier in or out of sports. 
fathers aren't that happy when their children enter the world. I've never seen a guy look that happy. And did you see how miserable his head coach looked during that time? And yet Jimmy's just cheesing it up. So, no, I don't know why. I don't know why. But this much I do know. Him cheesing it up was not because he was excited about his future in Frisco because apparently he has no future in Frisco. Lobster Jr. also got to that yesterday. And check out his response when asked about grinning Jimmy G. I wish you guys could see Jimmy being back. And if so, what, what would that look like? No, I don't see any scenario of that. Yeah, no, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this dude, man, Salty Lobster is the best lobster. Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. I know who you were talking about. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I know know who Jimmy Garoppolo is. Yeah, no, he's dead to me. No, I don't see any scenario of that. All right, so maybe he didn't say he's dead to me. Maybe he didn't try and kill him off like he did last time, but that's a pretty strong statement, right? That's a strong statement. I don't see any scenario where he comes back next year. But again, at least he didn't kill him off this time like last time. I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. So that goes for all of us. I've come to talk with you again. Especially you, grinning Jimmy G. So no, he didn't kill him off yesterday. He just killed him off the roster yesterday. Then again, we've heard this before, right? When Jimmy was so convinced that, check that, grinning Jimmy G. When grinning Jimmy G was so convinced that it was over last year that he actually said goodbye to Frisco fan and told them he loves them. Quick thank you to all you guys, the media. Uh, Since I got here, you guys have been awesome. It's been some ups and downs between all of us, but uh, for the most part, you guys have been awesome. Just good group to deal with. You guys are very, uh, very engaging, and it's just fun to be around you guys. You're from Eric making the jokes to every, everything in between. just uh, it, It's been a fun ride, guys, and I really appreciate you for that. And, uh, yeah, I'll miss you guys. So thank you guys again. Faithful, thank you very much for everything. Uh, it's been crazy, man. Just uh, all the comebacks at Levi's, comebacks on the road, ups and downs. It's, it's been a hell of a ride, guys. I love you guys. So see ya. Love you too, grinning Jimmy G. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. Can I tell you, I'm starving after every workout. So this time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender. And it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously. And you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness. Teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those who like to take things up a notch. So next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see exactly what you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? 
Hey, by the way, where was Eric the joke maker yesterday when we needed some levity to cut the tension in the room with a chainsaw? Where was Eric the joke maker yesterday? Grit, th- Alvy, nice. Nicely done. Grinning Jimmy's Bay Area departure. Check that. Grinning Jimmy G's Bay Area departure. It's kind of like Bacon 45's retirement, right? Similar in that it feels more legitimate this year than it did last year. So, Jimmy G, if you listen to Salty L, he's not the guy, right? He's done. He's not coming back. If you take Lobster Jr. at his word, and he sounded pretty pissed yesterday. So, if it's not Jimmy G, then who? Because they have to bring somebody in, right? They have to bring somebody in if it's not Jimmy G. But who? I know Bacon 45 is retired, so it's not him. Or is it? All right? Bacon 45. James Kelly and I will get into this on Jim Rum's Big Head Bets. There's actually a number, a line, as to whether or not he actually is retired. So we'll break that down later on. But let me just give you something to think about as it relates to that. He is retired today. But can you really rule this guy out? He might not be feeling it. I'm talking about Brady. He might not be feeling it today. But what about in 30 days or 60 days? And if it's not Brady and he really is retired, who's it going to be? I'll tell you who it's not going to be. It's not going to be a big name, high-priced dude because that's not the way that team is built. That's not the way their salary cap is structured. And because Shanahan himself said their quote, content enough, end of quote, with Purdy and Lance, and that there are, quote, two starters on our team right now, end of quote. If you say so, crustacean, if you say so, bro, but I don't think that anybody is yet sold on Trey Lance, and who knows whether or not Purdy needs merely a repair or a full reconstruction on that wing. There's a big difference. I mean, is content enough good enough And since when is good enough, good enough, when a team like this is built to win it all right now with the right quarterback? See, to me, these are all fair questions. And Lobster Jr. knows it, and that's why he's so pissed. Well, he's so pissed because people are blaming him for getting the quarterbacks hurt. Either way, if I were him, he already has a red ass. I mean, look at his dad. His dad's face is so red. How do you think he got glossed to Lobster? Kyle's a hell of a coach. Kyle is a brilliant dude. But I could see where he would be really upset right about now. And I can't blame that dude. But apparently some of Frisco fan can. Frisco fan. I get it, brah. Sunday really killed your buzz, Frisco fan. But dude, lay off your coach, bro selves. If not for that guy, you're not even getting a sniff. A sniff of the dank. Chill out. Relax. Isn't this what the dank buds are supposed to be for anyhow? Pass the QB on the left-hand side. And don't forget the Dutchie either. Or maybe, you know what, pass it to Kyle, brah. Bro self, I think Kyle needs it. You're harshing his buzz. Sounded like Kyle Shanahan. You know what it sounded like to me? It sounded to me like he wanted a one-arm body slam everybody like Trent Williams did during that presser. And I get it. Trent Williams grabbed a player, threw him down, then he threw a punch, and now the bench is empty. 
I mean, that's a dude who once got tased in a club and, and didn't even flinch. You don't want to mess with Trent. I would say that players take on their coach's identity, but I think that Kyle took on Trent's identity. Like if somebody had run up on Kyle yesterday with a taser blast, he probably wouldn't have gone down either. Then again, here's the problem. A pretty awesome opening take, isn't it? Then again, if you listen to Twitter and all the hot takers out there, none of this really even matters, right? Because it's a foregone conclusion because it had already been scripted by Raj from the get-go. It's all scripted. So my guess is Kyle got his hands on a copy of the script, read the part of the script where every one of his quarterbacks gets hurt, and he's to blame, and he wanted a rewrite, and he didn't get it. He read it, and he thought the script read more depressing than even leaving Las Vegas, the most depressing movie ever. Niner fan, get off your coach. It's not his fault everybody who plays quarterback there gets hurt. Common sense would answer that question. Well, was this his? Was it his fault? Joe Montana went down. What up, Joe? I love Joe, man. One eight hundred six three six eight six eight six. Remember when Aeneas Williams, great player, great player. Remember when he rocked Steve Young? Was that also Kyle's fault? Man, that is music. That is absolute music to my ears. You should know by now exactly what that sound represents. That that is the very best kind of notification you could ever hear. It is the sound of another sale on Shopify. And the moment that another business dream has become a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. It doesn't even matter what you're selling. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. I mean anything. Succulents or stilettos. Flaky salt or fine art prints. All sorts of categories. Fashion, home and garden, health and beauty. Essentially anything. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash Rome to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. So we're still 10 days away from finding out who the biggest winner of the NFL season is going to be. But we already know who the biggest loser is. And the incredible thing is, the biggest loser this season wasn't even in the NFL this season. It's actually hard to believe how far Pervin Liar's stock has fallen over the last six months, even though he hasn't coached a single game during that time. Especially since his stock had already cratered and was worthless prior to that point. I didn't know that something could be worth less than nothing. I didn't even know it was possible for a stock 
at zero to actually go down. We already knew that Pervin Lyre was the worst coach in NFL history the day that he got bleep canned. He didn't even make it through one season. But what we didn't know is that Doug Peterson was going to ride in behind that dude and flip things around in one season and get Trevor Lawrence back to that true franchise quarterback that we all expected him to be and get the Jags into the playoffs. That guy did all that. And on top of that, led them to a 27-point comeback in the playoffs and then got named a finalist for Coach of the Year. And Trevor Lawrence, hell, he got the message. Peterson even taught that team about Jocko. Well, Vic and NoCal may not approve of that or have any need for that, Trevor Lawrence definitely understands the powerful message that Jocko is imparting. Coach showed a video of, I don't know if you guys heard of Jocko. You guys can look it up. It's this video where he talks about good, and it's like no matter what happens, that's your response, good. You know, threw four picks in the first half, good. You know, he showed that back in, I don't know if it was training camp or during the season, maybe when we were on that losing streak. I don't know when it was, but that's just been our mindset. You know, then we stayed on the sideline joking around. One of the linemen, I forget who it was, said to me after I threw three or four picks, he was like, Good. Just look at him like, all right. All right. Not not the time, but here's the thing. Everybody who was laughing at that has no idea how funny that is. Like it was funny. But you have to know Jocko to know how incredible that is, what he just said. That that was a thousand times funnier than those who were laughing at it even know. And and Jocko's whole thing about good is good. Good. But I wouldn't even put that in the top 500 things I've heard or seen or read from Jocko. That's how good Jocko is. Good. I'm not going to lie to you. Every single morning, I plug in a Jocko for a couple minutes. Just get a little burst. He's that good. Anyway, back to Perv. Perv didn't coach last year, but I can't believe how many L's he took without coaching a single game. Perv caught nearly as many L's from home this season as he did on the Jacksonville sideline last season. I can tell you this much. Pervin Lyre has never read discipline equals freedom. And Pervin Lyre has never successfully motivated or inspired a pro football team. He's only perved and lied and kicked kickers and skipped team flights and blamed his assistants and made excuses. Even with that in mind, what I'm about to tell you will blow your mind because the dude is still making excuses. Because Herb popped up on the All Things Covered podcast with my dudes, Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden. They asked him about a potential or any potential interest in a return to coaching. Perv took that opportunity to make more excuses about his time in Duval, excuses that don't even make any sense at all. No desire, and of course, you know, I think I'd do some things differently, and, um, you know, I was excited to see, because you know, they, they have a lot of different players, and when I was there, they they did a really good job in free agency this year. And, um, but, you know, to me, and you guys know this, it, it almost it's fun. It's kind of funny when you say the NFL is a quarterback league. Pop Warner is a quarterback league. So is high no school. No question. Right. It's a quarterback sport. <laughs> and when you get a when you get a you know a killer like uh, Trevor Lawrence or a JT Barrett or a Cardell Jones or Tim Tebow, you got a chance. So they 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 got a great future. Dude, you had Trevor Lawrence. 
He makes it sound like he got fired and then they drafted Trevor Lawrence. No, dude, you got fired because you nearly wrecked Trevor Lawrence. This dude. Just act like you guys know. You know how it is. No, no. We know how it is. You don't know how it is. Perv. There you have it. The reason the Jags went from a total and complete dumpster fire to the divisional round in one season has nothing to do with coaching. It's just the guys on the roster. Hey, guys, there's a lot of different players. Hey, guys, they've got Trevor Lawrence. It's a quarterback league. Hey, guys, they did a really good job in free agency. Guys, it's windy as hell out here. It's windy as hell out there, too, guys. That's what you sound like, perv. You sound like the least accountable dude in the league. At least the Coog Hunter is only 23. Bro, you're 58. You had an entire year to process your failure, and the best that you could do is tell us that the Jags have a lot of different players and they had a really good free agency and Trevor Lawrence. That's your analysis. That's your takeaway. That's the soul searching you've done, and that's what you came up with. Here's what I came up with. I thought about it too. The Jags went from having the worst head coach in NFL history to a pretty damn solid professional head coach who already has Lombardi. That's why everything changed. And that why is why everything is again awesome in Duval. Because you're gone and somebody else came in and changed everything. But what do I know? I'm just a talking head. And they let me say whatever I want. Take it from somebody somebody who would know. Somebody who was on the team. Last month, Marvin Jones answered a question about the Jags being broken last year. And this is what he had to say about it. Quote, I think one person was broken. It wasn't us. End of quote. There you go, Perv. One of the guys who was on the team last year. No, the team wasn't broken. We weren't broken. There was one guy who was broken. It wasn't us. Let me tell you something else. Only a broken brain would put Tim Tebow and Trevor Lawrence in the same sentence. I'd say it's a good thing, Perv, that you have no desire to return to coaching, like you told those guys. But you know, that's a lie, too. You know it. You love the attention. You love reminding people how successful you are and how much they all suck at their jobs. You love kicking kickers. I'm a ball coach. I'll kick you whenever I want. Literally. You love Buddy needing a night out on occasion and getting it. Don't confuse you having no desire to return to coaching with nobody in the NFL having any desire for you to return to coaching. You know damn well you'll return to college coaching. You will. So get that crap out of here about how you have no interest or desire in returning to coaching because you know you do, and you will. And somebody will hire you in college because you were a great college coach. You were. So don't tell me you have no desire. When your name comes up every single year when the coaching carousel starts spinning. If anybody believed that you had no desire, that wouldn't keep happening. Now, in your defense, being the worst thing, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to show you that I've got no agenda and no axe to grind, and I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to say something positive now. In your defense, 
being the worst thing that ever happened to the Jags may actually be the best thing that ever happened to the Jags because they've all rallied around how much they hate you. And you were so horrible and treating everybody so terribly, you actually galvanized them. So you're right. You do deserve some credit. It's not all Doug Peterson. They rallied around their utter disdain for you. You galvanized this group. So good job, good effort. Buddy deserves a night out. Just don't use it to grind on co-eds. Man, it must be awesome to live in your own private pervaho. Your own, I made that up, your own private pervaho where it's never your fault and everybody else is always to blame. Must be nice. Must be really nice. I wish I had it in me to be like that, but I don't. And neither does anybody else that I know or care about. I wonder if the kicker is just getting a kicker's line when they're stretching so you can kick every one of them. Because you're, all, you're the old ball coach. You can do whatever the hell you want. Yo, kickers, let's do a kicker's drill. Not where you kick the ball, but where I kick you. Yo, place kicker. I'm ball coach. I'll kick you whenever Yo, I want. Yo, punter. Yo. Holder. All you. Anybody who has anything to do with the kicking game. Special teams coach. You never accomplished Jack. You get in that line too. Yo. K1. No, no, actually, punter. Whatever your name is. Let me see what kind of hang time I can get on you. Let me see if I can angle you out of bounds. Let me see if I, hey, P1, P1, get over here. I want to see if I can get you in the coffin corner. Oh, out of the back of the end zone. Run it back. Let's do it again. This guy, man. I mean, did you, you hear the tone of his voice? Like, still not his fault. How do, how do you name check Trevor Lawrence? You had him, dude. Hey, it's quarterback's league. Everybody knows it. You got a killer. You got a shot. It's right. Kind of funny when you, you, say you had NFL's one. A quarterback league. Him. Bob Warner's a quarterback league. So is high no school. No question. Makes no right. sense. It's a quarterback sport. <laughs> Makes no sense. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Howard Beck. Howard, it's great to have you back. How are you? Doing well, Romy. How are you? Good, Howard. Great to visit with you. I want to ask you about this past weekend. I have not spent a lot of time on this. In fact, maybe I was waiting for you to come in to talk about this, but it's still pretty unbelievable that the refs missed that obvious foul committed by Jason Tatum on LeBron James at the end of regulation in Boston. The NBA Refs Association issued a statement, Howard, admitting a mistake was made. My question for you is then, shouldn't the league be able to do something to fix an egregious error like that when it happens during the game? I mean, it's a great question, and yeah, like that was one of the, I don't know if it was one of the stranger versions of this we've had, Jim. It, it, the, the statement from the Referees Association 
was interesting. I'm not sure if that was necessary. I think in cases like this, it's best to just let the league speak for itself. The referee who missed the call, Eric Lewis, had already done the pool report after the game in which he said, listen, we've, we've seen it now, and yep, we missed it. It, it happens. Um, I don't know that everybody contorting themselves to try to apologize or say it's anguishing them and we're oh, sleepless nights. I, I don't know what that accomplishes, and it, it comes off as a little uh, overwrought, to be honest. The league's... Um, so Monty McCutcheon, who's head of officiating for the NBA, did a great interview with my colleague Chris Mannix, which people can find on SI.com, in which Monty addressed this and, and referee operations in general and you know even the ideas as, as Mannix posed to him, should this be something that could be reviewed? The league is walking this fine line, Jim, and has been for years, ever since they started instituting and then expanding replay. They walk this fine line with, uh, on the one hand, wanting to get everything right, And perfection is impossible. There is no world in which every NBA call or non-call will be correct. There is no 100%. You're just trying to get as close as you can. But that pursuit of perfection has led to this massive grid of triggers for replays, which they've tried to kind of cut down in recent years, and they've they've, they've eliminated some things with out-of-bounds plays. It's automatic replays because what happens is you end up extending the game, and nobody likes sitting through replays no one and especially when in the last few minutes of a game if it goes you know review after review after review that kills momentum it kills fan interest it drives people nuts so you have to balance on the one hand this striving for an an impossible standard of perfection versus how long the game might be and how many stoppages stoppages i can't even say it that you're going to have uh so I, i they're in a tough spot and It's to the league's credit. They've always been transparent, and especially during the Adam Silver era with the last two-minute reports. I know people have mixed feelings about them, but the move to transparency and the move for accountability is, you know, it is welcome. And I I think that's that's a positive. People can sit there at the end of it and say, yeah, well, all the apologies and, and transparency in the world doesn't change the fact that if you're a Laker fan, you feel like they got screwed that night. And okay, but I, there, I don't know that there is some solution for this, Jim. Maybe every single play that happens at the buzzer has to automatically be reviewed i I don't know and and as monty mccutcheon said that's for the competition committee to discuss but you know by and large the league will tell you obviously they're not going to provide us the data but they will tell you that you know by and large referees get the vast majority of their calls correct and sometimes the mistakes that do happen happen at a critical time like this and you know human error has always been part of the game and I and I would just add this one last thing and I say this to every fan base of, or anybody who's aggrieved at a given time by a call if your team had done something better in the other you know 47 minutes of the game if it was a game that was that tight you had all these other opportunities like it's it's never just about the one call and and yes that the, the one that sticks because it happened at the end but you know what play better make more you know get more stops do other things build a better roster lakers how about that how about that do better play better howard Beck joining us all right to that point howard in terms of the lakers building a better roster you got the trade deadline coming up a week from today what are you hearing about russell westbrook and beyond the lakers what teams do you think might be active in the trade market before the deadline the Westbrook thing has kind of gotten quiet, right? Like that was all the rage last summer and early in the season was Westbrook plus the two future picks that they have available to trade. What can that get you? 
And the Lakers didn't want to move on some of those opportunities. We know that, you know, there was a, a very uh, vigorous discussion with the Pacers in the offseason about the heel Turner thing. That is obviously off the table now with Miles Turner signing that extension. Um, is there still some other configuration that could work? I, I haven't heard anything recently that suggests that they're aggressively trying to go that route. They have been, as you know, very protective of those two future first-round picks because – uh, clearly they feel like they, they want to guard against falling off a cliff down the road when LeBron retires. But, you know, the 2027 and 2029 picks that the Lakers have that everybody talks about packaging with Westbrook and his salary, those aren't the only picks they have. They do have other picks. Those are just the only two that are eligible to be traded right now until after this June's draft. And it has to do with a whole bunch of rules and trades that they made in the past. But they will have other picks. So it's not as though their entire future is tied up in these two picks, and it feels like they're hoarding them as if they think that's the case. Um, quick aside, the Lakers have never built their dynasties through the draft anyway. Uh, even the pick that was Kobe Bryant was a pick they, you know, that they traded for his draft rights. Um, they've usually done their work in trades and free agency, not through the draft, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, would, I would think they're at least listening to or exploring the possibility of something involving Westbrook and at least one of those picks, or if both, then maybe heavily, not maybe not heavily protected, but you know seriously protected. Uh, they've shown enough with LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy that they can actually, you know, be a, a force still in the West. But they can't do it with the roster they have. And the Rui Hachimura trade was a nice little deal, but it's not moving the needle. Um, and I and I, I come back to this, which I wrote about in December. Are they going to squander another year of of LeBron's late prime? How many more years can he do it at this level? Fair. Howard Beck joining us, and he is doing it at a really high level as he tries to run down Kareem. Howard, what about Chicago? There's been reports of friction within that locker room as they've underachieved all season long. You've got trade speculation surrounding Zach Levine. What do you see Chicago doing next week? So they're in a really interesting position because it wasn't that long ago that they were going all in on the present and making that deal for Vucevic and, and, and everything else. Um, Lonzo Ball, who, of course, that has not worked out because of injury, getting Alex Caruso. Like, everything was about trying to win the present, maximize what they can do, getting DeMar DeRozan, all this stuff. But they've kind of already maxed out. Like, this is, this is a first-round-and-out team at best. And the question is, are they ready to reckon with that and pivot the other direction? If they are, then they could do the trade that I suggested on SI.com today when we had a little roundtable on trades we'd like to see. And the one I suggested was Zach Levine and Goran Dragic to make salaries work for Westbrook and the two picks with hmm. some sort of protections on them, I'm sure. Um, Zach Levine with the Lakers, I think, would thrive. And certainly the Lakers could use another creator and score uh, on the court. Um, on the Bulls side of it, you know, as I say, I think they've maxed out with this group. Levine's got, you know, four years and a hundred and something million uh, coming after this season. So this would free up cap room. This would get them some picks for the future. Uh, I mean, I, it's a logical thing for you and I to discuss that, hey, maybe the Bulls should pivot and look to the future. It's a lot harder when you're the executive in charge and you've got to deal with the downside of that, which is, you know, people, you've you, you got to sell season tickets. You've got a marketing department. Um, you've got a pick that you sent to the Magic that I think is top four protected, uh, but that the Magic are going to get because of the Vooch trade. And, you know, you don't want to get, 
you know, sink too far in the standing. Like they're just, it's, it's, it's a really tough spot they're in. But I, I got to think that there is a moment of reckoning coming. I was going to say, Howard, I actually love that. Of course, I'm not accountable to any of it, but I like that deal a lot myself, <laughs> especially for L.A. Howard Beck joining us. So let me ask you this before you go. The Celtics dropped 79 on the Nets in the first half last night, and they blew Brooklyn out by 43. In fairness, Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons both sat out with injuries, but the amount of scoring from Boston was no aberration, right? It seems like every single night somebody is going off with huge numbers. Luka has already posted four 50-point games this year. There's a lot of three-pointers being taken, I understand that, but his defense in the NBA also at an all-time low right now. Is defense in the NBA at an all-time low? Yes. So, you know, it's interesting, Jim. Isaiah Thomas tweeted something, the, the, uh, the Hall of Fame Isaiah Thomas, not the younger one, uh, tweeted something to that effect a couple weeks ago where he said, if everybody is scoring this well and, and this historic and great and blah, 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 then, the, then the, basically the converse is also true, that, like, that must mean defense is worse than ever. And I, I kind of chuckled and I thought that, you know, there's something maybe to that, but I think it's... It's a, it's, it's, I think it's too simplified. I think that what we're actually seeing is, you know, and this has been increasing over the last five to ten years, we are in a three-point era. We are in a high-tempo era. We are also in an era where uh, players are being empowered or given license to control every possession, whether you're Luka Doncic or Giannis, Westbrook when he was in his prime, James Harden, of course, we've seen this version of this. Uh, Seth Partnow, uh, writer uh, and, and former analytics guy for the Bucks, has called heliocentrism it's about getting your one guy who's best with the ball in his hands the most possessions possible so we see usage rates that michael jordan almost never had that kobe bryant never had and so it, it this it's a stylistic thing more than anything that that uh guys are scoring individual highs and crossing 40 50 points routinely in terms of the total you know or, or points per possession a lot of that is that the game is spaced out and the floor is wide open and you can't guard everybody all the time when everybody is now a three-point shooter and there's more threes than ever. So I, I, don't, I don't think it means that defense is down. I just think the game is harder to defend right now. Um, you know, People can superimpose their own impressions on that uh, in, in terms of their, their taste for the game and whether they like this version of the game. But um, I don't think it's quite that the defense is, is that bad. I think it's it's just where the game is. I'm not going to push back on that. Like People make the mistake sometimes in thinking that if I or anybody else pose a question, that I must therefore believe it. You actually give a very reasonable explanation for that. I'm not going to push back on any of that. I, th- I think it's part and parcel of a lot of different things, but I think that's a really good explanation as to why that is. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the Crossover Podcast, Sirius XM radio analyst, and again, he did write the forward for the greatest show on earth a history of the la lakers winning tradition he is howard beck howard great to have you man thanks so much appreciate you romy thanks appreciate you howard great job as always howard beck man that is music that is absolute music to my ears you should know by now exactly what that sound represents that that is the very best kind of notification you could ever hear It is the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment that another business dream has become a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. It doesn't even matter what you're selling. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. I mean anything. Succulents or stilettos. Flaky salt or fine art prints, all sorts of categories. 
fashion, home and garden, health and beauty, essentially anything. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok. Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 Help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Rome to take your business to the next level today, shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Let's try phone calls. One eight zero zero six three six eight six eight six. What is your beef? Anything at all? I want to start here in Southern California, Pomona. Anthony in Pomona. Anthony, good to have you. What's your beef? My beef today is with Tom Brady retiring and unretiring and retiring. Okay, so just pick a lane and stay in it, Footloose. Don't treat us like Rome does parody Larry because we will fall for it every time. Just stay retired. Have that extra scoop of avocado ice cream because you deserve it. Or hell, just go be the best-looking analyst on any panel you want. Just stay retired, please, and take that hippie up north with you. War, Cali Clarkson, and bums using headlamps as GoPros. You can war Kelly Clarkson, but you cannot war bums. Stay in your lane, footloose. 1-800-636-8686. Like I said, if you don't know where the line is, you're going to cross it and you're going to get run. Not a good tone setter. Let's try somebody else. Why don't we go to the Bay Area? Fern. Fern, what's your beef? Hey, hey, Jimmy. Uh, my beef was LeBag. I just finished his uh, 1990 hit classic remake of Kid and Play House Party. Talk about a franchise killer. I'm not sure what's worse, that movie or Matt uh, Mutt in L.A.'s career choice. I'm out. My man. All right, that's a step up. That's an improvement. I like it. Fern in the Bay Area, 1-800-636-8686. Let's go Midwest. Minnesota, Nick. Good to have you, Nick. What's your beef? What's up, Snags? My beef is with my wife buying those warm yellow light bulbs. And now I feel like I'm wearing those stupid yellow shooting range glasses in my own home. Late? <laughs> my man. I like it. I like it. I feel like I'm wearing those stupid yellow shooting range glasses in my own home. Keep it coming. one 800 636 8686. Let's try Orlando. I love the beef segment because we get phone calls from all over the country. Joe in Orlando. Joe, what's your beef? Jim, my beef is with the fact that it seems like every movie that comes out these days is about the freaking multiverse. Can we just cool it with this? We get it. There's there's another me somewhere. Maybe in another universe, I'm the queen of bleeping England. Carl Sagan is tired of this bullcrap. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> is Carl Sagan tired of that bullcrap? Do you know Carl Sagan? Do you know, do you know Ronald McDonald? I'm telling you, the Tourette's syndrome is... The, 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 the jungle Tourette's is so out of control. I just said, do you, he said, Carl Sagan is tired of that bullcrap. I'm like, do you even know Carl Sagan? And the first thing that pops into my mind, do, do you know, do you know about Ronald McDonald? I have my own jungle Tourette's. 
Let's try Nooch. Should we? His return. His triumphant return. Nooch in Little Rock. Nooch, what's your beef? Hey, Rome. I'll be quick. Uh, my beef is with these dispos trying to tell me that there's a weight limit that I have per time I visit. What do these losers expect me to bother my mom to bring me back up there every 24 hours? And they're inconsiderate and it's unacceptable. War Jungle Inc. I'm out. I like that, dude. I like that. He's got a beef with these dispos. These dispos harshened his buzz, letting him know how often he can and cannot come by. Dispos putting a weight limit on his order. Dispos trying to limit the number of nugs that Nooch can take home. Now that's some bullcrap. Good to hear your voice, dude. 1-800-636-8686. Could this be, again, one of those all-call beef segments? I don't know. Long way to go. Let's go to Michigan, Jack. Great to have you, Jack. What's your beef? My beef is with driving in the dark with his lights off, guy. That's it was over an hour ago. My man, it's not the beef. It's the phone quality. Not a very good call. I mean, is that not a sign that you're drunk or high? How can you drive in the dark and not know that your headlights are off? I'm not saying that maybe you don't know it for a second. Yeah, that's rich, Rome. How did you back into your wife's own car in your own driveway? Fair. At least I had my headlights on. Didn't help me. All right, let's jump back to the other. Hello, Jim. My beef, I'm reading now. My beef is with the bag Starbucks customers who would rather wait in the drive-thru instead of walking in and getting their iced mocha douche latte. Walk in, get your drink, walk out in five GD minutes instead of waiting in line for an hour and blocking intersections. Lazy ass. Robert in Seattle. My beef is with people adding the world or the world famous when describing family members' meals like you haven't lived until you've had Aunt Mary's world famous cheesy potato casserole or wait until you try Uncle Bob's famous five alarm chili. This stuff is barely edible, let alone famous. Dominic S. Erie PA. I like that. What's so famous about it, man? James Philip Rome. This must be important. He just governmented me. James Philip Rome. My beef is with schools preemptively closing whenever the news predicts a snowstorm. How soft are we getting? The kids can't be expected to wear a winter coat and boots and walk 15 feet to the bus in two inches of snow. Suck it up, buttercup. Gary in the D. Detroit. Not the interception capital, Dallas. Ah, boy. My beef. This guy gets it, man. Just short, punchy, and to the point. My beef is with my coworker, and then he goes bold in bold print. Is with my coworker who cuts his fingernails at his desk. Signed, Max. Hey, Max. I mean, why do it work? What you should do at home when it's disgusting and you can get paid for it. Wait till homeboy starts cutting his toenails at work as well. 
Hey, Rome, my beef is with crossing guards that stop traffic for grown-ass adults. What? Aren't crossing guards there for the parents? Mike in Door County. I got a beef with drive through <laughs> That's a funny line. drive through window sauce packet distribution. Why is it that when I order two tacos for myself, I get five billion hot sauce packets? And yet when I order for a large group and ask for lots of hot sauce, I get like four packets. Let's institute an automatic two-packet-per-taco policy if we can't apply common sense to order sizes. Eric and Ellie, first of all, Eric, that is the best written beef ever. I'm not saying it's the best beef. It's the best written beef. That is tremendous prose. Well-written, easy to read, common amusing. Sense answer that I like question. it. My beef is with people who live in Oxnard. I'm going to stop right there. Yo, Oxnard, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I'm reading it. I got no beef with Oxnard. I like Oxnard, and by the way, you don't want to cross Oxnard. My beef is with people who live in Oxnard and have L.A. living in their bio. You are from Osnar, not L.A., buddy. Signed DC from the Nard. Oh, he's calling out his own. Fair enough, dude. Jimmers, I thought somebody was going to take a run at Oxnard. DC's from the Nard going, yo, man, you're not in LA. You're from the Nard. Jimmers, my beef is with my wife washing dishes first before putting them in the dishwasher. What's the point of a dishwasher? How about keeping the water bill cost down? Pete in Denver. Pete, dude, were you the one calling about water costs last week? I mean, I get it, dude. Heating costs are crazy. Water costs are crazy. But you can't just drop a plate in the dishwasher without at least rinsing it. What's next? Hey, make me a sandwich. Jim, my beef is with my fiance. She keeps buying toilet paper that leaves behind shards. Haven't we talked about bathroom beefs already? Didn't I put a moratorium on that? My beef, Cindy, for some reason, thinks it's fine. Cindy, you literally are no better than the big head himself at this point. You know that. My beef is with my fiance. She keeps buying toilet paper that leaves behind shards of shrapnel after use. Now I'm looking at bidet options just to avoid the tangle with my backdoor jungle. Holy crap, Ian. You did not. And by the way, that's your warning, Chalk. One more of those, dude, and your pale ass is fired. Don't put that in front of me. His backdoor jungle? Cindy, you don't look or act like it, but you're one of the dudes. Your, your sense of humor is worse than James Kelly's, that you endorse that. <laughs> Cindy. Cindy is doing that. Snags. My beef is with people. I'm getting a lot of snags today. I kind of like that. 
Snags. Snags. My beef is with people who seem to want the public to hear their garbage music playing in their car. Garbage! The only thing making it worse is hearing it as it rattles the trunk of your 85 Oldsmobile that has every fender a different color. Patrick in Alabama. Going deep. My beef. Adults who ask other adults for bites of their food. Vincent Fresno, I like that. No, I like the beef. I don't like people doing that. I like that. That's fair. Hey, man, you mind if I have a bite of that? Yes. Unless you're with your significant other, man, you should not be eating off another adult's plate. It's just weird. Jimbo Slice, I have a beef with Iceman. First, he cuts off Maverick. Then he takes way too long to get a shot. Then he pulls out and leaves his jet wash for Maverick to fly through. Then Maverick goes into a flat spin and has to eject. Goose dies. Hashtag Iceman's fault. That's the best one of the day. And then the guy who sent it didn't even sign it. I don't even know who gets credit for that. That's the best one today. Even better than the guy with the backdoor jungle. Tan Smack. Well, you want to call? Let's go to John in Philly. John in Philly. John, what is your beef? Hey, Jim, my beef is this. Five in the morning in the hotel, the guy goes out and accidentally hits the horn fob. Now he's fumbling with it, drops it under the car, and the horn won't stop honking. I was trying to sleep. I'm out. My man, I feel you. Let's get one more in here. Jay in Texas. Jay, what's your beef? Uh, Romy, my beef is with you. Tell me. All right, man. I don't want to muddy the waters here, and I certainly don't want to get run. But it would seem to me that sex would not be undefeated. If you considered sex versus the great equalizer, sex would lose every time. So let's just say you're about to get nice, and the great equalizer shows up. You know what's going to happen, Romy? You're going to have a big dump in your bed. A matchup of undefeateds. Do you know why I'm still right? They've never played. That's why they're both still undefeated. I don't know what would happen if they... I have an idea what might happen if they played, but they've never played. Sam Pollard. Sam, it's really nice to have you on the program. How are you, Sam? I'm good, Jim. How are you today? Good, good. Good to visit with you. And I'm curious, based on the breadth of the subjects that you focused on in your distinguished career, I'm curious, how did you get involved in this project? And then, Sam, how much did it mean to you to ultimately be asked to direct it? I was approached by one of the executive producers, Ross Greenberg, who used to be the president of HBO Sports. Uh, we had worked together before, and he asked if I'd be interested in directing a documentary, initially a series about Bill Russell. And, you know, Jim, I grew up in the 60s, so I was very familiar with Bill Russell, same with his rival, with Will Chamberlain, you know, and the other players from that period, like Bob Cousy and Oscar Robinson and Elgin Baylor. So this was like a no-brainer. I said yes immediately because, you know, I was interested in understanding how Bill, who Bill Russell was besides being this great basketball legend. You know, Sam, the last thing I want to do in talking to somebody like you about somebody like Bill Russell is make it about me. But if I can indulge you for one moment, I remember interviewing Bill Russell years ago, earlier in my career. And I can remember thinking at that time, really every time, but especially at that time, every single year, a few times a year, Sam, I feel like stakes 
or moments for me personally are much higher than they normally are. Like everything matters. Everything matters, but a couple of times a year, everything matters even more. I knew in that moment that speaking with Bill Russell was not only going to be one of the more significant moments of that year, but maybe of a career or a lifetime. This is how highly I regarded him and how desperate I was to earn his respect and not waste his time. I bring this up because I want to ask you, what was your approach the first time you met with him and what was that first encounter like? Well, you know, he, he's at a stage in his life where I would say he probably wasn't as sharp as he had been maybe four or five years before. So he was sort of quiet. But what he was you know, talking about when I spoke to him and I asked him a few questions, he really went back to his childhood days at McClendon High School, we talked about his days at USF. And one of the things he really spoke about was the fact that the Harlem Globetrotters under the, you know, the, the leadership of Abe Saperstein had tried to to draft him after college. And his father said, my son will never play for the Harlem Globetrotters because he's throwing his clowns. And uh, he, stuck, he stuck to his guns. Those are the things that I remember in meeting Bill and talking to him, you know, in this uh, brief period of the last, about the last year of his life. Sam Pollard is joining us. So, Sam, the story of Bill Russell, of course, as you mentioned, transcends sports with his significant involvement in the civil rights movement. How did you attempt to balance sports with the larger societal impact he had, and was that challenging? It was very challenging because we had to try to figure out how long should we stay on the segment of Bill with his basketball career, and when should we make the turn back to his activism, his civil rights activism, his human rights activism? So, for example, we knew there was a certain point when we dealt with the rivalry between Bill and Will Chamberlain on the court. We talked about it to a degree. Then we said, okay, now it's time to make the turn back to what else was happening for Bill in the mid-60s. And that was Dr. King's March on Washington. That was Charles Evers inviting Bill to go down to Jackson, Mississippi after the death of his brother, Meg Those were things we felt we had to deal with. And then as we, we unfolded that, you know, in telling storytelling, we decided, okay, let's get back to what happened to the Celtics by the time Bob Cousy had decided to retire. What would happen to the Celtics? So that took us back to Bob Cousy announcing his retirement and the impact it would have on the Celtics and Bill Russell. You know, and... Uh, it was just dance. Sometimes we had too much basketball before we went back to his activism. So we had the lessons on the basketball to get to the activism sooner. Sometimes we had too much backstory about his, his civil rights and human rights activism. So we had to say, okay, we need to shorten that to get back to the basketball. So it wasn't like it was easy. It was a little bit of a dance. You bet. Sam Paul joining us. In fact, I'll do that dance myself. I'll kind of bounce back and forth. You mentioned Bill and Wilt on the court. How would you characterize that kind of, or that rivalry, that relationship, and then how did Bill view it? It was an intense rivalry because they were two of the most dominant centers, in, the two most dominant centers in the game going up against each other, you know, and Bill knew he couldn't, he didn't have the height. He was only 6'9", and, and Chamberlain was 7'2". He knew that Chamberlain had more weight on him. And he knew he couldn't, he couldn't really stop Will Chamberlain from scoring points. But he could contain him to a degree as an offensive player where it would help the other Celtics score more points. And usually the Celtics would beat the, you know, the team that Wolf was on. So it was really understanding for Bill, it was about just not about your individual stats. It was about you being a part of a team. And that being a part of a team was something that had been drilled into these guys 
into Sherman, into Casey, into Sam, into later John Havlicek, by Ed Auerbach, because he knew it wasn't about just individuals. It was about the team effort, which would lead to winning games and which would lead to championships. We are talking to Sam Pollard. So when you're talking championships, of course, you're talking about 11 championships in 13 years. Sam, with Tom Brady announcing his retirement, the so-called greatest of all time conversation comes up yet again. But when you assess the career of Bill Russell, is there any doubt that he was the greatest winner of all time going back to his college days at the University of San Francisco? There's no doubt in my, on my part that I bet you if you spoke to someone of a younger generation, it would be, you know, every generation is going to have who they consider the greatest. I was saying to someone, if you're between the ages of 20 and 35, and you say, who's the greatest of all time in basketball? I bet you nine out of 10 people say LeBron. If you're between 35 and 50, you ask people, they'd probably say Michael Jordan. My generation, I would say Bill Russell. So it's really hard to think who is the greatest of all time because. The, the, the style of play, the, the, the skills you need to play the game, the, the, the athletic prowess, the exercise regimen that happens now. It's a different game. But, you know, a lot of the things that Bill Russell did on the court and off the court are things that players like Steph Curry and LeBron have taken, into, taken to heart and understand that they too need to have a voice and not just shut up and dribble. Hmm. Sam Pollard joining us. Sam, in terms of Bill Russell off the floor, he was an absolute icon and the city's most decorated champion ever, but the city of Boston was dealing with some serious racial issues. While the Celtics were stacking those world championships, that said, how would you describe Bill's relationship with the city of Boston? Well, it wasn't the one that was conducive to him smiling. I mean, probably what he had was a major chip on his shoulder. Here's the guy who comes out and the Olympics went in gold, gets drafted by the Celtics, and basically becomes the linchpin for leading the Celtics to win 11 championships in 13 seasons. Now, you would think that the Boston Panthers embraced him, you know, without any question. But no, they didn't. When there was polls taken, people were asking about who's the best player on the Celtics, most of that crowd would say Mr. Bob Cousy, the Houdini of the hardwood because he was a white man who played an extraordinary game of basketball. No taking away from, from Bob Cousy. But if it wasn't for Bill Russell being the dominant offensive center, a defensive center, the Celtics would have won all those championships. But the audience, you know, the people are attracted to someone who looks like them, who sounds like them, so they went with Bob Cousy. Hmm. I remember the first time I sat with Bob Cousy as well, and that was even long before I met Bill Russell. I mean, he was such a unique figure as well. I'm curious, what was it like for you to sit with Bob Cousy? And if you would ask Cousy at that time who the most dominant or most critical component or player on that team was, what, what would Cousy have said? Well, the first interviews we did, Jim, was with Bob Cousy and Ty Sanders, two of Bill's teammates. And it was, for me, an extraordinary pleasure to sit, you know, in front of Bob Cousy and to later sit in front of Ty Sanders. But what Bob Cousy said in the interview, and he says in the film, he says, when, when, when Bill first came to the Lakers, I mean the Celtics, I was the man. And then after a few years, Bill Russell became the man. Bob Cousy understood how important Bill Russell to the team was, how important he was to the team, and why he was the man after a certain number of years, and not Cousy. 
I think that's cool, Sam, though, you sat down, even you, given what you've accomplished in the life you've lived, that when you sat in front of Bob Cousy, that you kind of had that kind of feeling. Was there anybody else? I mean, you, some of the biggest names in the history of the sport sat down for this doc. Magic, Larry Bird, Dr. J, Bill Bradley, Bob Cousy, Isaiah, Bill Walton. Was there anybody else who sat down that you spoke to that who really stood out or said anything that shocked or surprised you? Well, Bill Walton is an extraordinary, <laughs> funny man, complicated man. He lives in a man cave that's a whole house in San Diego. He has paraphernalia and memorabilia from the Celtics and the Grateful Dead. <laughs> you know, and he was he was just so great about his love for the Celtic Green and Red Auerbach and Bill Russell, you know, extraordinary. I mean, to sit before Oscar Robinson was a pleasure, was a real pleasure for me. To sit with in front of, you know, and interview Isaiah Bill Bradley and Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe. Whoa, man. I grew up in the city of New York where the Knicks, the 60s, were teens to be at a certain point in the late 60s, early 70s. So sitting in front of Walt Frazier and sitting in front of, you know, Earl Monroe, wow. I couldn't ask anything better. Yeah, Sam, I'd say the same thing. You know, I, I come from that generation. When you lay that out, like if you're from, if you're of this age, then you're a LeBron person. Or if you're this age, you're an MJ guy. I'm an MJ guy, at least from that generation. I'm a Kobe guy, too, because Kobe and I live pretty close by in Orange County here in California. But when you mention Oscar Robertson, you know, we could talk about it. Bill Russell is unparalleled in what he did off of the floor, but I had a similar experience when I sat with Oscar Robertson for the first time as I did when I sat with Bill Russell. They do not suffer fools, and you do not waste their time. These are very serious gentlemen. What about Oscar Robertson? What do you think about him as a player and a man? Same thing, man. Yeah, same thing, right? Very serious, man. You know, he came in. He sat down in Florida. We were in... uh, we were in Orlando. He sat down. He did the interview. He was succinct to the point. You know, he was fantastic. It was just fantastic to me. You know, and you know, I'd seen Oscar Robinson play. But wow, man, sitting in front of Oscar Robinson. Wow, they're sitting in front of Bill Bradley and Walt Frazier. Woo, man. Bill Bradley too, man. So I, I sat with him years ago. Fascinating, Sam. I'm getting a huge kick out of how much of a kick you got out of sitting with these guys. But, you know, in, in terms of being a journalist and a, do- a director, you're also obviously a huge fan at heart. Let me finally ask you, from a sports perspective, we're never going to see another Bill Russell in terms of somebody winning 11 championships, not the way the NBA is set up, not with all the parody. No. We know this. But from a larger context, do you think we'll ever see an individual who will replicate his impact beyond sports, and especially in a divisive era in which we currently live? I don't think so. I think he's unique. He's one of a kind. And I don't think there'll ever be anyone who will break that mold and follow him. Not to the same degree. I agree. Not to the same degree at all. This documentary is in two parts. Sam, one last thought. Was it hard, given given how much he accomplished on and off the floor, to break this doc or this film into two parts and get it all in? Because I would imagine there were plenty more episodes that you could have done. Yeah, I mean, we could have done probably six episodes, but sometimes, you know, you do things in sequences that you could be, you think impactful can just drag on. So we had to make some, some decisions, which you always have to do. And I think it's at the right length and right time now. Initially, it was going to be four one-hour shows, and then we decided with, with the consultation with Netflix to bring it into two, two films, which I think it serves, serves the material and serves Bill Russell even better. 
The documentary is called Bill Russell Legend. It's going to be released next Wednesday, February 8th. It's a Netflix documentary. He is an acclaimed film director. He is a producer, an editor, a screenwriter, an Emmy Award winner, Oscar nominated as well. He is Sam Pollard. Sam, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that conversation. Thank you. My pleasure, too. Take care. You too, Sam. Sam Pollard. Good night, now!